0: Welcome to Deep Dive, Coaching for Creatives with me, Coach Cami. In each episode, I'll be covering the basics of deep inner work, the hardest and most important work you can possibly do for yourself. I have been where you are, stuck with self-limiting beliefs and an inner critic on overdrive, and no idea how to get past them. I've done this work on myself, for myself. I know how hard it is but I want to make it easier for you and help you become your best self. You deserve it. My guest for this episode is the multi-talented Stephen Gates. He's not only a fellow creative, he's a fellow podcaster, a fellow ADP list mentor, that's how I learned about it, a fellow speaker, Leo, and fellow Enneagram 8. He's recently founded Crazy, an independent studio helping companies find new vision and purpose. Stephen has had very successful stints as a global design leader for some world-class organizations, from which he very publicly announced being laid off, and not for the first time. His journey has been a fascinating one to witness and to cheer on. Today our conversation begins with that journey, delves into doubt, imposter syndrome, recharging your creative batteries, trust, and more. Ready to dive deep? Well, thanks for agreeing to um, chat with me today. I'm really looking forward to our conversation.
1: No, of course. I think thanks so much for having me. I think I always, we, we always have such great conversations. I just feel like they're never recorded. So this will be this will be a good chance to share what we talk about.
0: Exactly. As a witness to your journey from watching it from this side, it's just been fascinating to see how honest and vulnerable and open you've been. And it's so rare And so refreshing to actually see a white man saying, hey, guys, (laughs) this sucks. And this is the emotions I'm feeling and and sharing all that. That's amazing.
1: I mean, it may sound a little bit weird. I, I think part of what it's been for me over the last year and a half or two years or something is basically trying to destroy whatever image people have of me. Meaning... Um, well, here, here's why I say that, right? Because I, I think you know a big part of why I wanted to share it is because, so for me, right? Like I, I was at my last company for 15 months, I got laid off and a lot of the comments were, and it's what's happened a lot over the last couple of years of, you'll be fine. You can work wherever you want. You can do, you can pick, you know, you'll have your pick of places or whatever it is. And I think that there's this myth, harmful myth That somehow you get to a point in your career where you've accomplished enough, done enough, or, you know, recognizable enough or whatever it is, that you are no longer subjected to imposter syndrome, the rules of the industry, rejection, um, questioning all of your life decisions, anything else like that. And so I I think part of what it was, was an opportunity for me to share that that is not the case, which I think, you know, a lot of people, unfortunately, I think got disheartened by because there's that hope of like the shining city on the hill of like, Someday I'm not going to have to put up with this. <laughs> you know, unfortunately, you do. And look, and but I think that was the other part of it was it, it was just as I started. It is the third time I got laid off. So I think the first the first time definitely I took it as a scarlet letter. I mean, it, it's no matter what, it's hard not to take it personal and to feel judged or oh, rejected yeah. or whatever that is. Right. So this time it was like, hey, it's all fun and games until you control the narrative. So we were going to change that. But it was, and I think that it also was just, I get so tired of everybody like being so perfect and all that stuff. And I think that was what I found was so many other people who were like, I felt this exact same way. I've been afraid to say it. Like yeah, there's this huge undercurrent of people who felt that way. And and again, I continued whenever people, like what you just said, right? Like it's it's nice to to hear that people think that you're honest and transparent, but I also think it's sort of depressing that that's different, <laughs> right? Well, like, social I'm, I'm...
0: media paints this picture of, and our and our inner critics repeat it, of what what we should be doing, or how we should be living, how we should oh, yeah. be like, and it's so unrealistic.
1: Well, no, and it is, and I think that's the interesting part, is there's I, there's a couple of talks and a couple of pieces I want to do with other design leaders who have had the exact same experience, and, and it is, but I think that's often... So much of that is either around like generating what you want your image to be or and I'm just also a place right now where maybe I've just done this too long or something since I started when I was two. But it's just like I'm I'm just tired of I wanna be who I am, right? I just want to yeah. be honest. I'm it is exhausting to show up and to try to be who I think everybody else wants me to be. Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah, I mean, that journey was great whenever you share the news and i think that post got like 600 views in three days and you're like i am set this is amazing right like huge reaction uh-huh. and then you come back three months five months later and kind of go well funny story everybody um mm-hmm. that didn't turn into anything and so that's that's, that's hard surprising. and humbling and yeah. self-reflective and whatever it is but but again i think that that's the part of it for me is i still continue to believe that like genuine leadership is about vulnerability and honesty and i will say though it was an interesting byproduct was a a lot of the companies or even the clients i'm working with now had reached out because they said a lot of people talk about leadership but even the way you handled got laid up being laid off showed what it was
0: Mm -hmm, mm
1: -hmm. and so it's so much easier just to show up as who you are as opposed to everybody who you want to whoever you think everybody else wants you to be I've got tattoos on both forearms dedicated to my mental health journey with that. You know, I I guess I'm also trying to show people that like by being honest, because then again, whenever I said, look, I'm making a decision, I'm not going back in house. I think that got that. That's like one point two million views now. It's just like
0: (laughs) (laughs) when when you said that you had got laid off and that you were making it public, I thought, number one, you're either going to be snatched up right away or number two, you're going to realize that you're at a level that you could go out on your own and be just fine. And, and having well, done that several times, yeah. that's kind of the path that I saw for you. And I'm, you know, back in the peanut gallery going, hmm, I wonder what's going to happen.
1: So well, that I, I, when I, you
0: I, when you did claim that, when you said, yeah, yeah, I, I know my shit. Yeah. And and I
1: I don't know that I said that, but like
0: yeah. (laughs) But to me that's what that's what came through. It's like, look, I don't there's no obstacle for me moving forward into my own space doing my own thing with my own business, except me. And you went, Oh, okay, that's gone. Yeah. And and you're embracing this new path. I've done that many, many times of, you know, screw this place, I'm gonna go out on my own. And every time it's terrifying. Every time I think, well, am I going to have enough to support myself? Am I going to screw up?
1: No, it it is. And look, but here again, I think I need to be honest that the the version of what actually happened wasn't nearly that sort of romantic and empowered, (laughs) right? Like, I think that there's a great, like, everybody remembers the destination. They don't always know the journey. It, It is an interesting journey for me, right? Because I think as somebody who has had a podcast for almost seven years who talks about this stuff on stage there is there there is interesting and ironic moments when you either need to go back and listen to your own advice <laughs> or you feel like i should know this because i talk about this stuff to everybody else right like you are reminded how much you are your own blind spot
0: oh my gosh um, yes and you teach best what you most need to learn
1: always 100 but i think like look the first two months for me were i've got to get a new job i've got to get a new job i've got to get like that was what i knew that was where i wanted to be mm-hmm. and Like, I was smart enough to know that in moments like that, you need a plan A, a plan B, a plan C. Plan A was the job. Plan B was let's throw out the line and see about freelancer consulting. Mm -hmm. You know, plan C. I don't know what plan C was. (laughs) Um, Have a yard sale, right? But I think. um, (laughs) But the funny part was, I think a lot of it for me was I was so institutionalized in my thinking. I was so fixated and rigid and sort of where my head was at that it was only whenever either old clients or people I worked with before or people who I hadn't even reached out and said, Hey, we want to take advantage of this moment. We're like, Hey, we've got like a month's worth of work and did that. And that was great and fun. And then they're like, you know, if you want to keep doing this, we'll keep giving you business. And it's like, Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> and so I sort of fell backwards into, and, and that's the thing is I think, yeah, where I've ended up is great and very empowered. I've fallen back in love with design and I'm having more fun and I'm a better, designer and a better husband and better like just better person in the world because I'm not carrying the weight of what I had before but Mm -hmm. it was that journey of five or six months to sort of say like I think am I gonna do this okay I think I'm gonna do this should I do okay maybe yeah maybe definitely definite maybe okay definite 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 and it's like okay then (laughs) okay now say it to the world so you can't back off of it so (laughs) Right. Like there's a little bit of that. Like, okay, you're committed now. Like give it a logo. Do you give it a logo? Okay, made it a logo. Now it's really official. Now it's
0: Mm -hmm. what are some of the emotions you went through to get to that point?
1: It it runs the gamut, right? Because I I think definitely the first two or three months was if I'm being really honest, I think like that was I'm very much reminded how difficult demoralizing, dehumanizing Mm -hmm. the search for a job is. I think I talked to 150 companies. I had in-depth conversations with 70. I was ghosted by over 20, including ones where I had just like talked to the CEO and they just never get back to you. But but there is a real dehumanizing factor to that. And And I think, look, you know, in the in anybody, anybody who does that, right, it forces you to question your career decisions, question the work that you have done, question like all of a sudden it's. Why doesn't anybody want me? Why doesn't? Why isn't this working? What is yeah. wrong with me? What, right? So I think that was at least a solid two months of that. Oh, um,
0: how do you get? Uh, just, how? What were the things that you said to yourself or did for yourself that started the journey back out of that? Because that sounds really dark. I mean, I've been there before. Oh no, it
1: is. I think. No, um, there, there are a couple of things. I think I went to therapy for the first time. I stayed in bed all day for a couple of days. I, I think like there's some part of just processing. The moment or processing, you know, what it was to get laid off or processing what this is going to be. You know, Look, I I think a lot of it for me is part of the processing was to talk about it and to be able to sort of share that. Because, again, I think a lot of the times those moments are extremely isolating. And I think a lot of imposter syndrome and things like that tend to have the most power when you're quiet.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, that's where in that in that solitude and in that quiet, that's where shame lives.
1: Oh, yeah. And I think, you know that was and so I started to i like got going on ADP list again, because I'm like, hey, I know a great way to be able to feel smart again is to be able to do mentoring and to do teaching, and I started to do public speaking and started to do interviews and started to do work. And it was just that like, very short term, what's the next day, the next couple days start to sort of build that back because it is I think a lot of what it was for me was really starting to look at what I will now describe as like my hope economy. Oh, Um, describe hope
0: economy. I love that phrase.
1: I I think it really, because I think so much of what it is, is, is there hope, right? Like if I'm applying to all these jobs, if this isn't going anywhere, like if I, and as I start to study the numbers and realize that like 90% of the people invest in a process that works 4% of the time now, like 2% of the time, probably not very much hope. there. not a great thing if you're in that state to keep investing in. So I think a lot of what it was is like, yeah, what do I have to look forward to? What can I can control? What what are the things, you know, to either to be able to share, to put it out there, to teach, to like, what are those things where I'm like, yeah, this is going to build me up as opposed to tear me down. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the sort of thing. It's like, is the economy growing? Is it trending up? Am I getting better? Do I feel like I'm in, in better yeah. shape for what it is? Or am I continuing to invest? Because I think like in a lot of cases, I, I think I would and other people will continue to apply for jobs even when you know it doesn't work because it's almost a form of self-soothing.
0: Yeah. Right? Like it's it is part the, of the, it's the, the one the imposter that you, syndrome. The one thing, yeah, thing that you can do.
1: <laughs> just like it's it's the action where, where you feel like you're doing something. So I think that's what I started to become much more aware of where what were those sort of things? What could I invest in or do or to go through that? Mm-hmm. Um, because again, I think this is also then with a backdrop because your job is never devoid of your life. But this is also in a backdrop of deciding four years ago, I was going to leave New York city, build a new house, sell this house. So, you know, of all the years we'll say <laughs> in my life that I've been on this planet, if you're going to pick the one where you're like, Hey, the one that probably would not be awesome to have financial unst- instability would probably be this one. Yep. yep. But again, I think it was just like, okay, how, and, and I think that was ultimately for me it was after that two or three months where I just decided like, look, I'm not going to continue to invest in or participate in this sort of like destructive process. Yeah. And then started to look for alternatives.
0: Nice. Hope to me has an element of action that, you know, oh, I can hope for a new job, but but if you're really gonna live in that space of I'm hoping, that that kind of spawns you and in, and in, into action, into doing something about that thing you want. And hope by itself is good, but the thing that you said that I want to kind of go deeper on is that you noticed what was dragging you down. Mm -hmm. And if we're not aware of where energy is being spent, how we're spending it, when we're operating in a deficit, when at the end of the day, we're just like, I just just want alcohol and Netflix. Right. To notice what it is that's going to charge us up again. And to think, okay, if if mentoring is going to charge me up, if spending time with my loved one, if petting my my animal, my dog, my cat, anything that's going to fill you up is going to um, offset that deficit of of energy right. in the whole job search process.
1: Well, and I think I was I was reminded of and I think haunted of two pieces of my own advice, and then turned to somebody else who gave me some other great advice. Like I've long been known for saying, like, hope is not a strategy, right? And I think. Um, i think hope is great it gives you emotional buoyancy but like if all you're doing is just sort of like treating it like a lottery like ah, i hope it works that doesn't tend to lead to much and again i think i'm also known for saying like success is a choice and so i think you know mm-hmm. part of it for me was starting to look at what were those choices what did i want to be able to do yeah. um what are your resources but, and and it was and i i have it's it's interesting i've known if the listeners don't know who sylvia baffor is i would highly encourage you to look her up Like she's a woman who is an expert in emotional intelligence. She was mentored by Maya Angelou for 14 years, has a great book called I Dare You to Care. She's like my own, she's on like my personal board of directors or my own little personal Yoda or like like whatever we want to describe her. Mm -hmm. And I sort of was talking with her about like what was going on. And she had this quote that just continues to haunt me. Was She just said, like, Steve, I need you to to remember discomfort is the price of admission for fulfillment. Mm. And it was like, ah, crap. Yeah. And I think there was was so much of like, yeah, I need to get to the other side of this or if I'm going to do my own thing, knowing that feeling that I want or knowing where I want to be is going to be on the other side of where I'm at.
0: Yeah. And discomfort's the way through. Yeah. Discomfort is the is the growth you need to get to the other side. Oh, that's a good one. I always I feel that um, that sting when I'm faced with vulnerability because I know that's my path to growth. And whenever I come up against it, I'm like, oh, you mean I have to ask for help? Oh, I hate that. I hate that. I hate that.
1: Well, I'm I'm the same way. And I think, you know, honestly, like I, I have recognized and actually built a big part of my ecosystem to combat that. Like a big part of why I do the talks or I do the podcast or stuff like that is one to help people. And that's great. But also, I think I know my tendency is to not. Is, is to get a little bit too comfortable or to settle in what that is. And so by literally constantly giving away what I learned, it forces me forward, whether I want to or not. <laughs> right. Like if I stand on the stage at how this year and I'm going to stand there next year, got to have something new to say. Right. So there's a little bit of. And again, I think that way it's, it's sort of a mechanism that I built in where it's comfortable and whatever it is. But th- there is a big part of why I do that, which is knowing myself and putting myself in a position to constantly mm-hmm. evolve if for nothing else. And as weird as it may sound, just so that, like I said, my I have the time to work on myself. But again, I'm always evolving where I'm at.
0: Mm-hmm. I saw a great meme the other day that showed um, it says most people when they when they dig within themselves and it's somebody with a, a tablespoon that's <laughs> in the in the garden, there's grass there and they're digging. And then the next frame is me. And it's a, it's a backhoe and it's carving out this mountain. <laughs> me, yeah. me, when I dig all the inner work I've done, I'm like, oh, hello, yes.
1: Well, And it is, and I think that, but that was even, and that's what I said. I think that there are some times that that may be one of the, the superpowers I've developed is, again, it's like whenever you get laid off and you announce it to the world and you do whatever it is, <laughs> you're hoping for the hero story where in two weeks you are snapped up by your dream company and you have your oh. dream job and that is yeah. the narrative and that's so great. Yeah. But you're also signing up for the narrative that I got, which is like five months later, funny story, guys. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't I couldn't find anything. Um, so what
0: do you wish people actually knew about you? You said earlier you, that um, people have this idea of who you are and how you are. Oh, sure. And that you kind of enjoyed this refreshing process of being able to show up as yourself. Yeah. So what well, is it that you wish that people knew about you?
1: And I'm as full of shit as everybody else. I'm subject to all the same problems as everybody else, right? Like, and that's what, because look, I think if you, and I've talked about this sometimes even on stage, right? Like there's a weird thing when you're on stage that somehow because I'm three feet further in the air, higher up in the air than everybody else, there seems to be this idea that somehow I have figured things out or I'm not subject to the same problems that they are, right? It's Mm -hmm. like, no, I'm just somebody who's willing to stand up there and talk about it, right? Or to reflect on it and to put that out there it doesn't mean that I have more answers. It doesn't mean that I'm any more talented or more enlightened or more whatever that is, right? And I think that's more of what that is in that moment of that. And that's why I said. I think a lot of other people, like it's very interesting because I think um, having had a show for that long and there's some clients that I've worked with who are musicians and things like that and they'll talk about it too. It's interesting because you will meet people and they whenever they talk to you, they have an emotional intensity that I cannot match. Right. Because to them, they have walked around with me in their ears listening to whatever it is for a month, you know, a year, five years, seven years, whatever it is. And so, you know, they, there's a relationship or they, like they, they feel like there's an insight there. Yeah. And they feel like they've known me for seven years and I've known them for two minutes. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. But I think with that, there's a little bit of wanting. To think that there is a place where I will not be subject to the what comes along with the creative condition. Say more about that. I, I think that, like it's like I said, I think that um, that I'm going to get to a point where I'm not going to doubt myself. There's a point where I'm going to feel good about my ideas. There's a point where you know I'm going to be respected or get to work where I want or, or things are going to get easier. Or this isn't going to be the the process or sort of like whatever that is because. You know, there is the doubt and imposter syndrome are sort of the resting state of creativity. I think if you can keep it in balance, does there's a lot of what it does is really good for you, right? Like it yeah. keeps you going. I think if it gets imbalanced, then it can become debilitating. How do you educate and create hope, but also be honest?
0: Yeah. I like to think of that, that push and pull between imposter syndrome and that rush of creativity as more like harmony. Because you need part of it to that that almost panic. The, either if it's a deadline or constraints or something about the project that's a little bit scary, but that just is enough to 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 push yeah. you on, and then you get in with the creativity and it kind of answers it. And it's this play, this harmony of back and forth. It's it's when you're stuck in the imposter syndrome, and stuck in the immobility of oh my god, what am I going to do with this project? What am I yeah. what am I going to do with this life? What am I going to do with it? and it's that expectation that it needs to be a certain way or that we need to be a certain way the idea that i embraced a while back that has helped me a lot is to think well this is an experiment this job interview yeah. is an experiment this project is an em- just an experiment or i'm going to try doing my own thing or or creating a virtual agency or doing this you know side work and it's an experiment and the energy involved there is so much lighter and it allows you to to employ more um, curiosity mm-hmm. and creativity to say well it's an experiment yeah <gasps> oh it's an experiment I, I, thank god <laughs>
1: i definitely think i think that's where i i've pushed my process i think to do two things that are very much in line with that yeah um one is just to share sooner because i realize the longer i hold on to an idea the more imposter syndrome i get about it oh so like if i share it very early if it's a sketch if it's rough if it's one i'm not as attached to it so if there's feedback or it's a bad idea i'm not as destroyed yeah. as opposed to like You know every little thing is perfect and i think the other thing is i've also very much shifted how i work to embrace more of like burst creativity Hmm. so that i will work on something whenever i have energy for it whenever there are ideas for it when it like whenever that is and as i feel that i start to struggle or i'm going to start to like that that energy starts to fall off work on something else go walk the dog right like do something and then let that kind of reload as opposed to in the past i think it would be like have a good idea have a good idea and you're like white knuckling it through it
0: power through yeah through and then through i think is, then, then i'm sort of uh, then
1: i'm running out of time and panic because i'm just trying to force it
0: yeah yeah that that um that powering through is so can be so toxic mm-hmm. um and and i have noticed this especially with my male mentees that um their default is well i just have to power through it's like mm, but do you Right. A number of years ago, I saw Daniel Pink speak at how and his book called When, which I can sum up in like two seconds. It's so easy that everybody has a peak, a trough and a recovery. And the peak time is for structured creativity. And the trough time is for administrative. Think like billing, invoicing, emails, whatever. And then recovery is for unstructured creativity. So... And that can be lubricated with, you know, friends, it can be lubricated with nature, with alcohol, with sugar. That's why, you know, happy hour, you give great ideas. And then the unstructured creativity in the morning time for your peak time, that's for when you have the idea, you know what to need, what you need to do, and you're just going to implement it. You're going, you already have the boundaries in place, you have the idea, you have the rough rough sketch, you're just going to jump in and build. Have you experienced that at all? Have you have you tried using that in your, or have you noticed that?
1: No, I definitely have. I think two or three years ago, one of my big development areas was I wanted to be much more deliberate about being bored. Mm. Because I think you. Know, one of the things I realized was, you know, like, you know, I would get up in the morning and I would sit there and I'd look at my phone and I'd go through the email and I'd look at what that is. And I would sit here in front of this these displays and work all day. Then I'd sit in front of the TV downstairs, sit in front of the TV upstairs, go to my iPad, go to sleep, repeat, right? Oh, and that there, time, yeah. there, there wasn't a moment. And again, I think this is why, if you talk to a lot of other people, why their ideas come when you drive, when you're in the shower, when you're walking the dog, because I had no time to sort of, especially in the end time of that, of like recover or just let my brain sort of do its thing. Yep. And so I was, I, I actually was, I, I put blocks in my calendar that just said like, be bored. Oh, um, how long were those blocks? Usually 60 to 90 minutes.
0: Oh, beautiful. Right? And
1: and that was like, go sit outside, go walk the dog, go for a drive, like go go do something. Away from a screen. And just let whatever. And again, and that's what I found was like, all of a sudden I'd come back and I would jot down a bunch of ideas or like just letting it breathe. Yeah. would because again i had the structured time i had the unstructured time but it it was that there was everything was so programmed out everything was so scheduled that i was losing that magic of the creativity or again was trying to force it so like Mm -hmm. that was my version of it was just saying like i need to be i need to be deliberate around being bored Mm -hmm. and just giving my brain the space to do whatever it wants to do
0: yep there's an old saying, if you if you don't have time to meditate for an hour, you need to meditate for two hours. <laughs> right. And that, that time is, like you said, for space, just to let your brain wander. There's another time of the day that that I personally take advantage of. It's, it's in between sleep and awake, in the morning and at night. When we're busy and doing lots of things, when we're multitasking, it's alpha. Our brain waves are mm-hmm. alpha, and they're all over the place. They're not incoherent. They're not in sync. And then when we get into flow, sorry, that's busy beta. And then when we get into flow, that's alpha, and 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 it's a little more coherent. And time kind of warps; it either speeds up or it slows down, um, and we're just in the flow. And then as we are falling asleep, if someone were to come into the room and say, "Hey, are you asleep?" you go, mm, "Yeah, no," but your brain waves would say otherwise. That's theta. Right. And theta for me, I call it my golden harvest time because I swear if I go to bed thinking, all right, I need a solution for XYZ, I need, you know, what's the process for that or what's the how should I move forward? And just go to bed with that in my mind. I swear a connectionally made some some kind of magic something happens. That by morning, if as long as I waking up slowly and not to a blaring alarm clock, that oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, that I yeah, that'll work. I don't know how many design problems I've solved that way.
1: Right. That well, but I think that's, allowing that, that's theta. a similar thing. But again, I, I think that's where like I've sort of evolved my thinking of like it's like if you talk to a singer, right? Like they'll talk about their voice and it's their instrument and how they need to take care of it and what they need to do. I, I think I've just gotten to a place where like my creativity is my instrument, right? And yeah. so. It, it can't just be constant output. It can't just be, mm. right? If there aren't those mm-hmm. moments of of recovery, of inspiration, of like, yeah, take that day, go to the museum, have a great meal, like go talk to a friend, do, like to do those things to, to, I think, to also to bring in the cognitive diversity, to bring in the energy, to bring in sort of like, again, whatever that is of different yeah. forms that I need to care for that instrument and yeah. think about how am I caring for that and creating space for it? Because yeah. again, I think, yeah that, that imposter in me is just like work work like keep going that's how you yeah. show your value that's how people are going to love you is like just keep working <laughs> keep doing things and it's like yeah. no no it's okay like you yeah. can you gotta, you gotta breaks, reach take hard a minute. Right. have
0: you read uh orbiting the giant hairball by gordon mckenzie oh,
1: that's one of so yeah i actually that's one of my prized possessions is i actually have a signed copy from when gordon was alive oh um, i got
0: to hug gordon I met him in 94. I'm so glad. Anyway.
1: yeah, I think well, that's always like when you talk about like the book that changed, you're like, yeah, ordering the giant it. hairball for me was that. Yes. I think one, just because it was so simple, but just the concepts that were in there and yes. like a so, lot of what that was. The milking yeah.
0: cows on the milking machine. The, the, yeah. And I remember this was one of the, the ones in his talk in, in Boston, 1994. He's like, imagine a field full of black and white dairy cows, green green grass and the cows are munching and there's a split rail fence and there's a guy in a three piece suit he holds his tie down as he leans over the fence and says you cows get to work
1: right <laughs>
0: it's like we we creators we can't be on the milking machine eight hours a day we got to go munch some grass
1: right yeah but but I, but again but i think that that's also the oh getting to a place to give your of having the self-awareness to realize that yeah of giving yourself the permission to do it this is why, I mean, again, I, I continue to talk about how I think giving yourself that sort of permission, showing up as your authentic self at work, right? Like some of these things are almost borderline acts of rebellion because it it is one of those things where you're like, no, look, I, I need to do this. That this isn't just like there's not a drive-through window in my office, right? Like I, I need some <laughs> amount of time Um <laughs> Yeah, yeah. you got I, I, to be I, I, I made an executive extremely mad one time. whenever they kept treating my team like that, and I just sent him a phone number, and I copied everybody on my team. And he wrote back and said, "What is this?" I said, "It's the number for the Kinkos down the road. If you want that, go, go call them." Um,
0: <laughs> I bet that went over like a lead balloon. <laughs> no,
1: he didn't. He didn't do it anymore. Yeah, that that's one of those books where it's like every November, or December. So right around this time of year, like I always reread it at least once mm-hmm. a year.
0: Willoughby and, gave and it's me always a, interesting
1: just because every, every time because you're in a different place in your life, yeah,
0: something else it's one of those will things stand you pull out
1: something different from it. Yeah. yeah.
0: And Willoughby gave me an uh, original copy from that. But um, yeah, I I got to see him in 94. We hugged afterwards. He um <laughs> he you know, the posters that he put up and he had the numbers on them and one said courage. And I'm a Leo and Leo's you know, you read a Zodiac once you've read them all. Um, and Leo's always like, oh, courageous, you know, courage, blah, blah, blah. And so that words kind of followed me around. And so I thought, hmm, courage. Ooh, and 13. I've always loved the number 13. So I yell out 13. What? Who called out 13? I'm like, oh, shh. So I very timidly raised my hand. You know, I'm 22, maybe. Raise my hand and he pulls an envelope off of the back of that card. And he wakes, he makes his way to me in the middle of this room back when they served us lunch at the closing session. Pulls out a $50 bill and hands it to me. And he said, never be afraid to single yourself out again. All right, next number. I was like, what just happened? Oh, my God, what just happened? (laughs) So I stormed the podium afterwards and I was like, um, um, I remember what we talked about, what we hugged. We both cried. I don't remember what about (laughs) But it was pivotal. Like it was somebody just shoving me in the ribs going, yo, you know, this shit already. Get with get with the program. Yeah, I can't. wait. No, for and that I think
1: book. those are those are those moments of again, I think. Um, but it is. And I think but there is also that. You know, that reminder of, you know, there's not a right way to do this. There's not a I, 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 I my mentoring sessions all the time, I tell people like, look, nobody would tell you my career in reverse was a good idea. Right. Like nobody would be like, hey, you know, go to an advertising agency, then a hotel company, then a bank. they be like, what? Like, that's horrible. Right. But it's like success is a concept that only exists in hindsight after it works. But mm-hmm. and again, I think when you're able to have those sort of awakening moments. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, they're so great.
0: Yeah. Be aware of them as they happen or in hindsight. That everything everything has the potential to be a, a pearl of wisdom for you. The pandemic was full of them. It allowed so many people to reevaluate uh, and reprioritize what mm-hmm. was really important to them. Um, so yeah, it was horrible, and it was full of pearls. Yeah. So I think this period of your life, yeah, it's it's been painful for you. It's been painful to watch. I I I can imagine how <laughs> the roller coaster that you're on. And I know that there's pearls in this journey for you as well.
1: No, there, there are. And I look, and I think sometimes you need those moments as a reminder or because like it's been interesting for me, like about four years ago, I said, look, I'm going to leave New York City. I want to go back home and be closer to family. I want to go back to Pittsburgh, whichever way this goes, what? But look, but I think that was an awakening moment of like, you know, really the only problem there is am I willing to bet on myself, right? Am I willing to say that I have the skills or I have the ability to leave New York and make that work? Yes. Yeah. But yeah, and I think that that's also though, I think, you know, having that support system or that way of processing or that way because i think that was that was i've talked to literally thousands of people over the last six months
0: mm-hmm.
1: who i mean literally to the point where so many of them were afraid to even put like the green open to work reading on linkedin because they felt like you know they were admitting failure they were going to take a job that they hated because they, they just couldn't bear to go out and say that yeah. like hey i'm in this spot and i'm struggling, or. Yeah. You know, so much of that. So I think that's why also for me, like trying to shift that conversation in social media Mm -hmm. and let there be some amount of honesty or something in that, or to be able to create a space where it's just like, how do we normalize being normal?
0: Yeah, we we keep talking about it. Yeah, we keep talking about over and over again. A lot of my mentees and clients are men who are faced with that either power through it mentality or really afraid to admit imposter syndrome or really afraid to admit, like, I got fired from my last job or mm-hmm. whatever. And um, I kind of have a special place for them because women, you know, we'll a bunch of women will get together and we'll tell our most gruesome, horrible, you know, sad tales. But men, I feel like do men have that same space? I don't know. But I, I always want to hold that space. Watch,
1: for w- watch two guys hug and you'll get the answer to that. Um, whack, whack, whack. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, yeah, the hearts can't ever touch. Um, <laughs> but it is, but look, but I do think, like, again, I, I'll always remember, like, even when Debbie Millman interviewed me for Design Matters, and I said, like, I got laid off. And I, I think even on the show, she was like, why would you admit that? And it's like, why would you Because not? it's true. <laughs> right. Like, you know, I, I get it. Like, and again, I think I even said that in one of my posts, like, no, I'm not exploring. I'm not writing in the next book. I'm not looking for a startup. I'm not looking for the next opportunity. Like I'm not like whatever those things are that everybody says. Yeah. It's like nope, I got laid off. But I I do think that there's a lot of pressure for you who you think you need to be, yeah. or I think for a lot of people, especially for men, we presuppose what we think the outcome will be.
0: Oh without... wait, that's huge.
1: Well, I, I think I see that in a lot of my mentorings. Again, I think for a lot of us, especially with men, we pre we don't do it because well, people are going to say this. They're gonna react this way. Yeah. They're gonna do this. They're gonna think that way about me. It's like, oh, so you did it? It's like, well, no. And it's like, oh, so they said that. It's like, well, no. And it's like, so how do you know that's right, that that's what it's going to be, right? Yeah.
0: And even if they did, you are not responsible for other people's reactions to you if you are being your authentic self. You have you are the only person you have control over. And and it's and it's to your detriment when you're not. Your, be- your authentic self, when you're trying to be somebody else, right. when you're showing up but, but in ways that... you have to that, recognize
1: ugh. that for, for so many men, right, that level yeah. of vulnerability runs counter to an alpha mentality, right? Yeah. That is the, I'm in charge, right? Like, again, yeah. a lot of leaders are bad leaders because it's yes. like, I'm in charge because somebody told me I'm in charge, right? Like, there's a lot of that that gets up just even in society and business and things like that. And mm-hmm. so I think... It, it is not an environment that is conducive to be like, well, I couldn't get out of bed today, or I don't know what the answer is, or I don't know where this is going, or mm-hmm. I don't feel good about this, or kind of like whatever that is. And so I think that's where, one of the ways I always like to learn is I go out and study with like a lot of other people who do other things, right? And mm-hmm. I think one of the things I went and talked to, went and talked to a decently famous comedian, and he said, look, like, you know, the best, the biggest laughs I get and the best material I have is the most embarrassing and it's the most personal, mm. right? and and i think that there was something about like whenever it is human whenever you are in that space and look i think especially leaders are very susceptible to this i see this in leadership camps all the time right like day one is everybody is happy their teams are great they are well funded no one has quit our work is fantastic and award-winning our executives deeply believe in us right (laughs) like all of this you know we have three case studies that i can tell you how we are revolutionizing you know the new version of agile whatever it is right yep And then on day two, I'm like, look, can we just cut the shit and like, just be on?" And they're like, look, I hate this place. My entire team is insane. I'm pretty sure one of them is plotting against me. I wish they would just package me out. Right. And it's like, (laughs) can't we just do this instead? Um,
0: It's so much more beneficial when we're showing our weaknesses, when we're showing our our, here's ways I need help.
1: Right. But I think but that's also I think we need to recognize that in corporate culture. Again, this is why I talk about trust so much, right, Mm. is that. We, we tend to reward and look for a very practical trust, right? Like you came in, you followed a process, right? Like that's, that's the behavior we tend mm-hmm. to reward, yet we ask for emotional trust results, right? Of that yeah. you're here working with other people, you and there's a, a real disconnect there. Yeah, it's and a I huge difference. A, right, And but that's the problem, is whenever you're in a practical trust culture that just rewards you for basically compliance, there is not only no benefit to being vulnerable, there is often punishment or humiliation or yeah. uh, again, like there, there is actual real negative consequence mm-hmm. to that. And I think, again, because of the awakening that happened with the pandemic and a lot of other things like that, I think I, I don't think the great resignation is done because I mm-hmm. think there's a lot of people are very, very frustrated with, uh, again, being in cultures that tend to value more practical trust and compliance, mm-hmm. um, especially in creativity. Right. This is often yeah. why creativity and corporate culture are at war with each other.
0: Yeah. And the, the thing that I've noticed about company cultures and corporate culture specifically is that um, most people, most departments, most individuals are rewarded for finding things that need fixing. So we are Mm -hmm. on the lookout for all of everything that's broken and we're not focused on everything that's working. And studies show through the Tetris effect that the thing that we're focusing on, that we're seeing more of that. We're not seeing the creativity. We're not exploring the create, We're not growing and encouraging and nurturing the creativity we're exploring and nurturing the things that are broken wait how does that work
1: (laughs) well but i think that that's you know that's the foundation of a ton of work that i do when i go into work with companies or try to do (laughs) strategy work or things like that a lot of times is needing to get them to understand that if you want your culture to change if you want to do better work this needs to be about modeling the behavior you want not criticizing the behavior you don't bingo right and so i really focus on like how do we give feedback? Are there standards around how you yeah. give feedback? Like, is that structured? It, like, how do we yeah. look at some of these key moments of interaction? i sure you,
0: you yeah. know about the Losada line, right? Oh yeah. The the three to one uh, ratio of positive to negative and six to one is even better. But mm-hmm. but I think it's interesting that more than that is uh, people suspect of inauthenticity. They're like, ah, it's not that good. But
1: like, oh, but also this is but this is why I teach these teams about cognitive bias, right? Because yeah. there actually is, whenever you teach them about that, we psychologically will always perceive bad news as being more important than good news.
0: Oh, yeah. You can be given 10 things in a, in a job review, and you're focusing on that one thing that they said might need a little improvement, and oh, you've ignored everything 100%. else. Yeah. Right.
1: I mean, I did that. I mean, I, I always remember I did, like, one of my talks at Adobe Max or something. And it was, like, three pages of comments, all of which were great to neutral. Uh-huh. There was one that was like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. And <laughs> out of, like, 120 comments, it's like... <laughs> That was one. the one, right? And yeah. it was just like, damn it, I got to do better. Why? Um, and why do
0: we do that to ourselves?
1: Well, but but I think a lot of it for me is that it it isn't, and I think, again, I think this is another thing for me that i like to be able to talk about and to try to reposition, is that these aren't things where the goal is solving it, right? I think the goal is keeping it in balance. Because saying I'm never going to have imposter syndrome, saying I'm never going to have, you know, any sort of bias or cognitive bias, right? Because when people come to me and they're like, well, how do I get rid of imposter syndrome? Mm. it's like, well, there's Mm. one answer to that. and I don't want to give it to you. Right. And so it's like, you know, that's not in our current existence. It isn't about eliminating it. It's about keeping it in balance. Yeah. It's keeping it in
0: check. It's, it's, I think of my imposter syndrome coming from my inner critic and my inner critic is male. His name is Cruella. And we have, (laughs) we have gotten each other. um, We've gotten to know each other very, very well over the years. And it started out as um, screaming matches with, Cruella's hands on the wheel of my bus. And now Cruella has a lovely sheepskin covered um, seat and he has a big old gold name tag that says advisor. And when he says, oh my God, there's going to be a pothole. Then I take that just, it's information. It's data right. for me to go, mm, thank you for the information, honey. And just like I wouldn't scream it at, at, you know, a, a, a neurotic aunt or, you know, an overprotective grandpa I wouldn't right. scream at him because he's part of me. I have to love that part of me because he's he's me. So right. I say, oh, honey, I don't need to wear a scarf at 60 degrees outside. I'm not going to freeze. Thank you so much. And, I, you know, it's like it's almost like you're, you know, belittling him. But by doing that and not trying to shove him in a bottle and stick him in the trunk. Right. You acknowledge that that's a part of you keeping trying to keep you safe. But that's recognizing the edges of your comfort zone, recognizing your boundaries, recognizing where you feel safe and comfortable so that then you can make the choice. Thank you for that information, but I'm going to do this because I can see the the potential rewards or I can see the path forward. Yeah. But let me tell you that I've had screaming matches with him on paper, mind you. (laughs) You just give him the page. I remember my mentor and I went into business together just recently, and he—he, he, um, I'm licensed now to teach this wonderful program called The Hundred Days of Creative High Growth. That's my certificate there, and it's receiving coaching every single day for a hundred days straight, no weekends off, no holidays off. It's really intense. I'm the first and only person licensed to teach this. I'm so excited. Got my first cohort together. Got my first group session, hit record, and um, I sent the recording off to my mentor, and he said, "Your music sucked." And of course, Cruella just went, oh my God, oh my God, he's going to take the cord away from you. He's going to ask you not to teach us. He's going to break up the partnership. You're not going to be able to do this ever again. And it's like, I just, I witnessed all that happening. Like I was watching a movie reel going, uh-huh, uh-huh, and what else? Uh-huh, and what else? And I and I gave him the page. I said, okay, what? What? Big letters at the top. What? What do, you, what do you want to tell me? What is it that you have to say? You're a fraud. You're just winging it. If people are going to find out. You're going to be homeless. You're, your husband's going to leave. Your cats are going to hate you. I mean, the whole gamut. And I, okay, is there anything else? Anything else? Oh Thank you, honey. Thank you for this information. You're wrong, but thank you for the information. And then move on. But taking the time, getting it out of my head, being able to be the witness to those things instead of just letting them play and assuming they're facts mm-hmm. they're not it's just it's just sound it's just opinions it's data what am i going to do with that data um that data smells like trash smells like garbage so just as if somebody has put dar- garbage in the street in front of me i'm not going to drive through it i'm not going to get out of my car and roll in it i'm going to go around it and i'll say hmm, there's some garbage
1: Yeah. Yeah, I I think that's where (laughs) I feel like I should have a better relationship now with my imposter syndrome. Um, (laughs) I don't have a name for it. Yeah, I I, I think I've um, my evolution of that. So there's a person, a guy named Sina Mosayab and Sina was like worked at IDEO and a bunch of stuff like that. I think he had he introduced me to sort of the concept of like a personal board of directors. And it's like you have one person who just thinks you're awesome. Right. Whenever you talk to them, they hype you up. They just tell you you're awesome. Right. I think you have one person who is that like almost conscientious objector of like you go to and say, this is what I'm feeling and they can say we can break it down logically. Right. But I think, you know, that I that idea of like for me having that bit of a group, because I think like, yeah, for me, if it stays in my own head, I'd, mm. I'm i also not sure. I think maybe there may be more than one personality. This may turn into a oh, different yeah. show. Um, but,
0: <laughs> oh, I have lots. There's little Cammy, yeah. who's the creator. Cruella is my inner critic. My higher self is just like me but like better lit
1: <laughs> right
0: there's there's parts there's parts and pieces to all of us but it's still all of us
1: yeah yeah well yeah and i think also for me it's also been accepting that that will change and evolve oh yeah right which it's, i think is also there's a little bit of like hey i've got it figured out and it's like ah crap something changed you'll um, be done when you're dead we'll right, all be well, done when yeah. we are
0: dead we just it's an ongoing lifelong process and it's all an experiment, and yeah. and we might go sideways over here. We might go backwards over there. We could go forward over here. It's an experiment, and it's all like information. Okay, well, this happened. What am I going to do with that information? Hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna glean the pearls from it. I'm gonna go this way, or I'm gonna stay in bed for another couple of days, or you know whatever whatever it is that that you do. It's all an experiment, and it doesn't need right. to be perfect. It's all messy.
1: Right. No, and I think that's where I go in my head is I'm just like, look, it's kind of a design problem and I'm kind of good at that. So like, I just need to look at it from a different angle.
0: hmm definitely. Like I said, I've loved seeing, witnessing the journey that you've been on. The fact that you've been sharing all these um, vulnerable details is so encouraging. And um, actually some of my mentees have talked about it too, that they like seeing the, what you're posting.
1: I, that's what I said. I think sometimes the trick to doing stuff like this is not thinking it through. But but look, and I think that's that's Fire a lot of what it in. is. Is I think for I think you know if it can be helpful or start a different conversation or you know be able to, to be able to do some of that or again lead to conversations like this or whatever that is. I think mm-hmm. you know some some of it is again like what you said, just going on the journey and you're sort of not sure where it's going to end up. But mm-hmm. um it is, and I think that's a big part of what I want to get back to is either being more honest about this stuff or being more outspoken or talk about what that is or. And that's why I said, I think, um, you know, it, it kind of continued to work to deconstruct whatever the myth is. People think of like whatever it, I've learned by doing some of this, that it doesn't mean you aren't still subject to what everybody else is going through.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Well, thanks again for agreeing to talk with me. I think this has been marvelous.
1: <laughs> well, no, thanks so much for having me. I always love our talks. It was just great this time. Uh, we can actually share it out.
0: Yeah, absolutely. For all the ways to connect with and learn more about Stephen, go to taplink.cc/sdgates. For more good juju, visit cami.coach. C A M I. i.coach.